I'm going to uh, begin at verse 1, but while you're turning there, I'll tell you a little something happened to us some years ago. It's a true story, of course. I had a version of it as I put in the blurb in the bulletin this morning. Um, I I feel somewhat ashamed in telling the story. I I don't really take place. It's not entertainment by any means. We had a very nice chair in our house. It was an old rocking chair. It was upholstered, and it was in been in Beth's family for who knows how long. And it was in the early year or two when we first moved into our house back in 86, and we had the fireplace, and we just kind of went crazy with having a fire. We couldn't get enough wood. We've, we've somewhat moderated that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there was this, the chair was sitting out uh, from the fireplace, uh, we thought it was a safe distance. And uh, we did see a spark, a spark fly over to the chair. And I went over to it and pulled it back and, um, you know, got to work on it and really thought that uh, it had been taken care of. And But I thought, well, just to be safe, I thought I would just put it out on the, uh, on the back deck. It was before we put our porch, where our porch is now, and would put it out there. Well, I woke up the next morning and looked out on the deck, and the chair was gone, except for just a frame, and there was a hole in the deck. And what had happened is that there had been enough of, uh, of a little spark center to get into that upholstery, <laughs> and and it, it 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 didn't take much for it just to begin to work away and. It it burned up. It was, and then I thought, well, this is scary. You know, we could, the house could have burned down. And it was hardly something, something you just negligible amount of a spark out of the fireplace. Well, as, as noted, I will tell you what danger we do have. Um, I mean, losing a house and losing one's uh, cherished possessions is not fun. But I'll tell you what's even more dangerous in the long run, and that's this, uh, if, you, if you want the technical description, it's this muscular hydrostat in the floor of the mouth, which we know is a tongue. And, uh, and I guarantee you that we could probably go around this room tonight, and if you would be so bold and candid, which I don't think we'd want to do, you could probably give us some story from your own life or stories when you look back and say, that's terrible, I said something. Or I've had a certain pattern or way of saying things, doing things, that uh, it's, it's really caused a lot of trouble. Well, that's what I wish to us, for us to look at tonight, overcoming the, the, the hurtful tongue. Let's, let's really set the biblical stage for this. And let me begin, I'm reading for the... Uh, English Standard Version. Not many of you should become teachers. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide our whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, 
These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And I'll end with this quote. This is not in the text, but it's a little something to remember. The most untamable thing in the world has its den just back of your teeth. You ready to go to work? All right, this is not going to be fun. This is, uh, we're going to poke and probe like going to the doctor's office and you say, ouch, that hurts. Well, <laughs> here we go. But well, before we launch into this, I want to say just a couple of things about the Christian growth and maturity process. For that is, it is presupposed through this whole series on overcoming the matters that we're considering. Overcoming <clears throat> sin and the consequences of sin in our lives, that we ought to remind ourselves of a few basics with regard to that process of growth. This is just, I'm just giving a couple of items. It could be a much longer discussion, of course. That what we're really talking about here is that the Holy Spirit, who is given to us at conversion, is the power that we need to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Don't forget that. But we're not, this is not moral rearmament. We're just not trying to be nice people. And this is something far greater than that. It is that work of God's Spirit throughout the entirety of life. Secondly, <clears throat> that this growth process requires both dependence and responsibility. Dependence on the Lord. Yes, we say the Lord must do it. We should talk that way and think that way. It's, if it's going to be done, God must do it and do it through us. But do not forget that we have responsibility. And it's been likened to the wings of an aircraft, that it, it takes both of these to move us along toward maturity. And then thirdly, that this growth and change process entails conflict. It's just necessary because we have to contend with our own sinful nature. Though, yes, there has been a radical change in our relationship to our sinful nature at conversion. It is not the ruling, ruling power, because that the back is broken of it. But we are to experience that gradual, um, the power of the Spirit overcoming the power of sin. So we have, to deal with, we have to deal with our sinful nature. We've all got one. And it's, it comes in the shape and form of who you are and who I am. Though our personalities differ, our backgrounds differ, our likes and our dislikes, and all those sorts of things. But yet we all share in common that there are, yet there is still, there are those sinful impulses, that sinful disposition. And therefore we also have to deal with the world system. And I'll say more about this later. We live in a world that's not friendly to grace, is not friendly to, it's actually hostile to this work of growing and maturing and becoming like Christ. And we have to deal, we have to deal with the evil one who sets traps for us. And he's a tempter. And he really does. And he has his minions. He has demons. And they can work that work and seek to bring us down. Now, you knew those things, but I just wanted to remind you of them. Now, we're going to go along two lines tonight. <clears throat> and if we can get, uh, I, I always like to aspire to this, if we can get down to the place where we can, in our conclusion, if we would like to talk about this a bit and talk about some of the issues that are raised, you might want to begin to get your mind in that uh, running in that direction and making notes, and we'll discuss some of these things if you'd like to. <clears throat> I've kept the outline simple. At least I hope it's simple to you. It's just along two lines. And the first is, is the tongue is a world of trouble. Let's start there. It's a, so we're, we're going to really, we're going to stir up a hornet's nest here. The, world, the tongue is a world of trouble. How so? Well, here's what it can do. In the first place, the tongue can be used for lying and deception. This is what Paul, Paul says in Colossians 3.9. He says, Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put deceitful lips far from you. 
How do we do this? How do we lie? Well, I don't know that we really need any instruction on this. <clears throat> it seems to come very natural. It's very natural for children to do this, don't we? Child-rearing parents who had this experience, we got to... Um, Children will resort to the, the lie and deception very early on, just as we did. But we can deliberately tell an untruth. We know that much. Certainly we know that much about lying. We can say, um, you know, we call the employer and say, I'm sick and I can't come to work. You're not sick. Or whoever. Uh, we can exaggerate the truth. We can, we can violate this. My husband never listens to me. That's a doorbuster there, you know, those nevers, that kind of thing. You probably all have had husband and wife conversations where you've stumbled into that sort of thing. We can create a false impression, an innuendo. We can misrepresent what another person has said or done. And we can make promises we don't keep. So we can use the tongue for lying and deception. It's ugly, and I... I do not have the time to go off and visit all the places in our culture and society, but I will tell you, lying has become quite the art form. And, you know, uh, unsettling so, it's become so acceptable. Uh, now, people have always told lies. I'm not, it's not the good old days when people didn't die, lie. But I will tell you this, that it has just become so acceptable you may want to try this sometime as you, uh, if you're watching a movie or if you, if you watch evening TV, if you can work your way through any sitcoms, uh, those can be quite toxic. But just, just a little something, how many storylines are pulled together by a lie and a deception? You, you, may be, you may be, if you haven't noticed, you may be stunned to see how often that happens. In other words, that in the, and a good thing comes of it. Everybody ends up in its, in the happy and supposedly living happily ever after based upon some deception or a lie. The tongue can be used to spread gossip and slander. <clears throat> gossip and slander. Proverbs 11 and verse 13 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Paul says to, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13, you know, where he categorizes the different types of widows in an assembly, and he warns the widows who are young enough to be out working on something or to get remarried, and he said, any person, though, the principle is that if you've got time on your hands, he says, younger widows who are idle, who can become gossips and busybodies. So the point is, is watch out. If you get a little extra time on your hands, and you have too much time to talk. Let's talk about gossip and slander just for a bit. I can, I'm only having to, I'm having to just rush by these. What is gossip? Gossip is one of those things that we indulge in in the Christian community. Interestingly, I noticed Jerry Bridges. I picked his little book up this afternoon just to check, see if he had anything on the tongue. And sure enough, he does in the Respectable Sins book. And uh, two of the sins that he points out with the tongue would be gossip and slander. Respectable. We've domesticated it. Gossip is uh, listening to and passing on information about people that harms them. Well, I came upon this. I, I don't, Bridges, he, he says that it, it's spreading unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is true. And so... There is something really insidious about gossip and so easy to fall. That's why it's so easy to fall into because um, it feeds our sinful ego. We get some information about somebody and it's not very helpful to, uh, for it to be repeated about that person. But at the moment, it kind of helps us to feel a little elevated and feel morally superior. And there is also attached to that a feeling of self-righteousness by as we compare ourselves. And... I like what Bridges said about this with uh, regard to gossip. He said, and I quote, Will what I'm about to say tend to tear down or build up the person I'm about to talk about? I thought that was a very helpful rule of thumb as he presents it. So it's spreading rumors, negative reports about other people based on uncertain evidence. That's part of it. And it takes a rumor, embellishes it, add details, juicy morsels, that kind of thing. 
Now, let's talk about slander. Slander is gossip's older brother. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. How so? Because slander is actually lying. And here's how it functions: A slander, uh, slanderer does this: is it's more sinister, it's more open, it's more malevolent. It's a verbal assault on someone's character. It's a malicious statement about character, actions, or appearance. Here again, I, pardon me, I just happened to come across some of Bridges' statements at the last minute and thought they were worth passing on. He said this, it is making a false statement, slander is, making a false statement or misrepresentation about another person that defames or damages the person's reputation. So you see, we're into some really a dark, dark zone here with slander. Now, I might hasten to say that what's happened in recent decades, though this has been true in politics from day one, but political campaigns, and now that they get just about 24-7 treatment, goodness, we're, we just enter into a new campaign for something right after the old one's been done. But I will tell you, one of the dangers of political campaigns is that they model for us this awful thing where candidates will take something out of context about another candidate, and it's just, it's just slander all over the place. It's, and it's news, and it, it passes for news, and it passes for polls as well because somebody puts that out, and often political campaigns are won based upon who is able to slander the other one the best and get away with it. And, and so we just go on with that and just uh, assume that it's just part of life. And... So, gossip and slander. Thirdly, the tongue can be used to boast or flatter. Let's talk about boasting for just a moment. No, I'm not just talking about that guy that's doing the dance in the end zone after he scores the touchdown and then gets on the microphone when the little the, the, the football chick comes over and asks him how was it, and then he wants to kind of beat his chest a little bit and brag and that kind of stuff. Hey, it's more pervasive than that. They actually get paid for doing that. But uh, here, Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So what are you doing in boasting? Do I need to tell us? We know this. It's calling attention to our own abilities, our own accomplishments, uh, or possessions for the purpose of drawing praise. Praise oneself. It's really a distortion of reality. It takes, doesn't take into account a vast number of things. Like how are we able to have what we have or do what we do? You notice Jesus uh, singled out the Pharisees on this thing because they, were, they had worked the fine art of being able to boast and, and just wrap it in religious garb. They could have somebody literally toot the horn and, as they would give. And they could go around parading themselves as looking so spiritual by having fasted and calling attention to their prayer life by doing so in an ostentatious way in public. So, boasting, bragging. And then there's flattery, which is the first cousin to boasting. It's kind of a reverse uh, boast bit in, in this sense. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. And what are you doing when you flatter? You're complimenting others for personal gain. Now, this isn't the same as giving a genuine compliment. But when you're flattering, you've got some ulterior motives. You're saying something because you either want to curry their favor uh, or, you know, actually what it does, it really harms the person when you indulge in flattery. And it, it draws them to the, into the wrong view of themselves. So you've got to be very careful. And appearances don't really reflect, reflect reality. And people who are in public situations a lot, you know, pastors have to really be careful about this sort of thing. And there's a strong temptation in, in pastors to uh, kind of want to, want to help people to feel good, uh, to, to, as the trend is today, to just feel blessed and such, as the talk goes. 
And so, you know, you can just get on a roll and start complimenting everybody left and right, but it ends up just being flattery. So if you can keep these people like you. So oh, that preacher, he's so sweet and nice, isn't he? He said the, he said the most uh, pleasant thing about the, what I was wearing. Of course, pastors uh, have to wise up after a while. His men have to. You'd better be careful when you start complimenting women on what they dress and their hair. Do I need to talk further about that? Uh, that's, that's a little, we just, we'll say that's a danger zone. And so, and so you know that uh, this whole, uh, the, the culture and the self-esteemism, I don't know if that's a word, but I'll just use it anyway. The self-esteemism, it encourages flattery. And here you can end up as, uh, uh, you can start praising children. You know, I mean, they have a terrible paper, awful grammar. They, they just did terrible on their math, or they drew a picture that was just really ugly and had no form. They were way outside the lines. Oh, isn't this a, look, it's so beautiful. You did so wonderful. This is so good. And so I'm very serious when I say we have to be very careful and weigh things as we're trying to encourage the motive, good intentions. Of course, good intentions don't amount to a whole lot. And uh, But you have good intentions, you want to help somebody and, you know, lift them up a little bit. But be careful. Flattery is a danger. All right, number four here. The tongue can be used for blame shifting and a substitute for action. Of course, the classic example of this, Adam and Eve in the garden, they just immediately went to work on blame shifting. They did really. They gave it their best shot. <laughs> Adam blaming Eve, Eve, and Eve, you know, the serpent. They were just passing the buck left and right. And they passed that down to all of their spiritual children. Because everybody in this room, we are a blame shifter in some form or fashion. At least we've done it. Now, some of us have worked it into a fine art form and think we get away with it. But it's ugly. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Here I'm thinking the tongue as being a substitute for action. And here's where we can fall into this easily in this, this manner of using the tongue as a substitute for action. Is that maybe you've known someone today, I wouldn't be so presumptuous to say that anybody here has been guilty of this. But you know what somebody wants to hear. And you know that if you say this to them, it may be a promise to be somewhere, to go some, do something. It's just something in their orbit, in their sphere of values. And you know if you say this to them... They're going to maybe like you better, and you think it's going to help them. And you just you tell them something that uh, oh, it could be just like a promise, like oh sure I'll be there I'll be I'm going to I'm going to church next Sunday. Well, they don't have any intention to do that, whatever. And but they but they know that's what you wanted to hear. So so words can become a substitute for um, for action and. Uh, also, in this blame-shifting thing, if I may go back to that for just a moment, um, people can do this uh, often when if they get burned out on a church or get they get or they just get burned in a church, and they'll want to they'll go out and talk to others and talk down the church. They can talk down a church. They can talk down a pastor. Or if they've gone to a counselor and they didn't get the help that they thought they should have gotten, then they can put the blame. Oh, well, we've been to all these 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 counselors and this person. They haven't, they haven't been able to help. So they just made matters worse. I've heard people say that. Just made matters worse. I heard some, somebody said that about me once in the counseling couple. I, I, I'll just confess to you, so it ticked me off when I heard it. I heard I spent all this time with this couple, then they go out and say, well, we went to Sosa, we passed down, and things got worse. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, I have to deal with it, but they've got to deal with blame shifting. And uh, Proverbs twenty five fourteen says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. Uh, all right, next, the tongue can be used for judging and criticism. Ouch. Criticism may be true, but it does need to be said. That's what we, we need to maybe make that note regarding criticism. What is judging, sinful judging? Now, it's become quite popular in our culture to just throw in the trash bin all forms of judging. You've heard that in the what verse is quoted universally. 
Judge not that you be not judged. And for a culture and for people who are into moral relativism, you know, like I'm going to every man or woman does that which is right in their own eyes. And so anybody who even a hint of passing a dim view on what they've done is called judging. And so the design of it is just to mute everybody. Just shut up. I'll do what I want when I want, and you don't have a right to say anything. That's the way it's been misused. But the judging that the Lord condemns in Matthew 7 is that, first of all, he doesn't say, well, in the first place, get the telephone pole out of your own eye, but then you can get to work in the speck in the eye of the other person. The point he's making is that self-judgment. You deal with yourself. So there is room for assessment, for some judgments that need to be made, uh, this sort of thing. It may be some kind of a, a reference in a job or any number of things. But sinful judging that Jesus condemns is hypocritical, it's uninformed, it's impulsive, it's superficial, it's premature, it's biased. And it's hypocritical in that it's an attempt to change others but not willing to change oneself. That's the bad stuff. That's what's condemned. And being, being critical without being constructive, not motivated by love, but being motivated by bitterness and jealousy, anger, revenge, slander. Now, I would put in here a, a synonym that goes with criticism, namely ridicule. Well, let's, let's add this to our list, as long as we're kicking over rocks. Ridicule. <clears throat> this is the first cousin to sinful, destructive judging. It includes such things as disrespect, insults, contempt, mockery, it's the use of the tongue to make fun of someone else in an unkind way. Oh, comedy is just full of it. And comedy is so often at the expense of other people and jokes at the expense of other people. You know, if I can just hit the pause button here. I know this probably you say, well, wow, we just, we just got to quit talking. Maybe that's the safest thing to do. But hold on. I have designed this tonight so that we end on a hopeful note. So, but, yes, I just want us to have a sense, a sense that, uh, what this, that this tongue is really a world of trouble. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. All right, the tongue can also be used for filthy language. Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For example, a lot of humor can be used, which is really demeaning to sex, which God has created, and it can desanctify sex. That's the danger of filthy talk. And dirty jokes. Verbal pornography demeans the gift of sex. It's a beautiful thing. And isn't to be drugged through the mud. And filthy language. How's your language? Does it need to be cleaned up? I pause and just say, you know, with the people you hang around with, that can be a really a difficult thing. Oh, my. I remember I worked at uh, Ara uh, Shirt Company. Many years ago when I was in college. And I had to work next to, with a guy. We were working the same, in the same area. I remember his name and his face to this day. And I tell you what, he is way up there on the scale of a filthy mouth. I don't, I've been around a lot of people in, all my, in my lifetime. I don't know about him. He may be number one. I don't, he could hardly say a thing without some filthy language pouring out. It was just all the time. And I think about people who have to work. They, they don't have a choice. And they have to work around people like that. Then they have to come home. And they have to be by themselves. And you got all that stuff. You have to work on it. Work on it. Work on it. And let me say this. The movies have created a, a little bit of a dilemma of a sorts here because movies just are just downloaded, many of them downloaded with filthy talk. And I'm not here to tell you to go or not to go, but I will tell you this. Don't imitate it. <laughs> Can we start there? Just don't imitate it. And all that, but if we're not careful, things like that can get in your, 
in your mind. And if you work them into your imagination, and uh, that's why I think maybe sometimes we surprise ourselves when we get into a situation and we say something, we say, I can't believe I said that. Why did I use that word? Well, I'll leave it at that. Let's go to the next. The tongue can be used to profane the name of God. Profane the name of God. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, what's this mean? To take God's name in vain is to, it's to use God and his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness to co-sign on some statement which we've made that really hides a lie. Well, you go, that's why perjury is, is considered such as, is it a felony? I, don't, I mean, you lie in court, you're in deep weeds. I, you probably tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth will help you, God. Do they still do that in the courtroom? Put your hand on the Bible. I haven't been in a courtroom lately. but uh, um, So it, it can certainly be profaning the name of God can take that form. It strikes a blow at the holiness of God and his character. And But I think, I think that profanity is also it's treating the name of God with contempt. Like asking God to damn something. Will you use that word? Um, please understand, the young people are here, and I'm saying, but if you say, damn it. Oh, really? Well, who are you? Who told you that you could bring down a curse upon somebody else? But we, we do that sometimes. We don't even think twice about it because everybody else does it. But that's what essentially you're doing. You're taking a prerogative of God to damn, to curse. And you're saying, I can do it. And I am just fed up with this OMG stuff. I'll just, I'll just vent here for a moment. I didn't like it when it started, and I don't like it now. And I consider it profanity. Now, it is an evangelistic opportunity, and somebody says, OMG, say, well, let me talk to you. You said he's your God. Well, tell me about him. What's your God like? If you want to be so bold as to carry it a little further. But to, to do that. It misrepresents God. Why do you want to bring God's name into something to give you and I, to give you and me some vaunted sense of my statement is important or what I, what I am trying to say is so important, I'm going to get God to sign on to it. That's essentially what we're doing. I, we're in a lot of trouble, folks. I'll tell you, we all, we can just fall into these things and I'm, I'll tell you this, I'm, I'm reading through, I'm just, uh, where am I? I'm in Genesis, I'm, I'm Deuteronomy, and uh, reading the Bible through this year. And I tell you, I've come through, I'm afraid of God. <laughs> now, I just say, oh, you better have a bigger view of God than that. Well, give me a benefit of the doubt on that point, I do. But I'll tell you this, every time I turn around, God's saying something pretty important. And he's saying, you'd better do this. And if you don't do this, you're in trouble with me. <laughs> I read that. And we, but do we take God seriously enough? I don't think we do. And that's part of this growth in holiness and, and knowing God and growing in maturity is that we have, we should be increasingly have this sense of God's holiness and his righteousness and his omnipotence and, and I'm, I'm going to answer to him. Well, the tongue can be used to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It may seem anticlimactic, but... Believe me, it's not. Proverbs 10:19 says, "When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wide." When this was written by Solomon thousands of years ago, probably anticipating cable television and talk radio. <laughs> I think you now talk radio does have redeeming. If we, it's a good thing we have talk radio, and I know I'm not denouncing that. They don't have talk radio in Europe, you know that, because there's only one philosophy that's allowed. But I will tell you the danger, if I, if I had to talk three hours every day, nonstop, I'd be on my knees first thing in the day. Lord, well, I've got to watch my tongue. And uh, Proverbs 21:23, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. And... I read this little line. I thought it helped here on this, that the only bit that will bridle the tongue is a little bit of love. <laughs> and that where we will want to go with these trying to protect our sense from the wrong thing at the wrong time. Have you ever done that? 
I, d- I have not kept a journal on myself on doing that. It would just be depressing. And for some of us who like to talk, and I, uh, I'm not here to make public confessions, but I don't mind talking. And I got in trouble, and um, it was on one of my report cards. I've, I've my mother passed it on to me, you know. You know, our teachers used to put little notes, and they say little nice things. Said, but he talks too much. Okay. And then if you throw caffeine in on top of it, it's really wild. You know. <laughs> Justin uh, understands. He pray, Justin prays for me. <laughs> so the the let's all right. Let's uh, let's just ask a couple questions. Do you know how to control your tongue? Do you know when to keep your mouth shut? Do you think before you speak? Are your words suitable to the situation? Um, do you talk too much about yourself? I'm going to say some more things about this. And I haven't come to the correctives yet, but I'm, I'm hurrying to get there. All right. The tongue, the uncontrolled tongue, creates untold dangers. Untold dangers. Proverbs 10:14. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Proverbs 18, 6 and 7, a a fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows, and a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Oh, my goodness. What would happen if automatically a dunce cap came up and just suddenly appeared on top of our head when we played the role of a fool? This would be a funny-looking place, wouldn't it? I'd be a funny-looking person quite often. Uh, So, dangers. And I've listed a few of the dangers here. I can't elaborate on them. But if, if we're not controlling the tongue, it will, you'll be in trouble with people constantly. You'll be in trouble with people constantly. People won't trust you. You'll begin to believe your own deceptions and untruths. You will discourage people. I told you the tongue's a world of trouble. You will destroy relationships and cause family squabbles. You will dishonor God and give people the wrong impression about Christianity and the Bible. And you know what the scary thing is? You know what really is scary here? It's not a matter just of the tongue. That's just an instrument. It's the instrument that reveals what's in my heart. That's what's scary. So when I come away from a situation and I've said the wrong thing, like any of these things that it could have any way from um, lying or slander or any of these things, I've flattered or whatever, the scary thing is that that comes out of my heart. What's, my, what's going on inside? What kind of person am I? Lord, I've got to do some heart work here. Now, let's get to this. All right. I'll, uh, we're there, almost there. The tongue can be tamed by the grace of God. Hallelujah goes here. The tongue can be tamed by the grace of God. Now, let me point out some ways in which this works out. The control of the tongue requires careful self-examination. It does. See, we have to guard the heart. So what Jesus said in Matthew fifteen nineteen, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, slanders. Where does it come from? From the heart. You know, we have a way of saying, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Or often, I've heard the old saying that the truth is often told in jest. What's inside leaks out. So we have to. We have to do some careful self-examination. And I'll just tell you a dirty little secret here, and it's, it, it, gets, it gets all of us. Self, our self-centeredness and the, then the chronic untreated self-centeredness, and we're all self-centered, but God, by God's grace we want to become more Christ-centered and love our neighbor as ourselves, then what we would want to be careful of and note that the degree to which we become increasingly self-centered, we get into this thing that the psychological term for is narcissism or narcissistic person. That's just a pathological self-centered person, <laughs> pathologically self-centered, where you just person so consumed. That's all I can think about. 
I'm the center of the universe. You know, the scary thing is, persons like that, they don't know it. <laughs> they just think, this is, this is normal. I'm important. Everybody sh- should be on board here. And I said that to say this, that self-centeredness will, will show up in things like speaking disrespectfully to people and not being bothered by it. Rudeness. Tone of voice. Threats. Name-calling. Things that we might know. So, all right, control of the tongue. Control of the tongue must be viewed as a supernatural issue. I'll just say it this way, that on the heels of that passage in uh, Ephesians 4.29, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption, but put off what? Wrath, anger, evil, bitterness, evil speaking. Let them be put away. So I'll tell you what we need to do. We just got to, we ought to regularly get with God on this. Lord, I need help. I can't exercise the forethought or, Lord, I don't know my heart. I think things and say things. I need help, Lord. So I'll let it sit at that. But this is a supernatural issue. This is not just sucking it up and zipping it up and just trying harder. I've got to have God. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. That's what. Lord, I need your help. And the Lord will honor that. Thirdly, control of the tongue considers the fact that it sends messages that can't be recalled. This is a wake-up call. (laughs) Proverbs 12, 12, 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. Here's Proverbs 14, 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. And you know this. You live longer. The longer you live, the more you understand this. That words, when they're sent out, you can't call them back. Now, I know that cuts both ways, for bad and for good. Thank you. Works for good. We're going to come to that. But words can prevent sin. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And words can be missiles or medicine. I like the medicine part. Lord, help me. They can be bullets or they can be honesty, what I want them to be. And then control of the tongue. This is not in your notes, but I I added this one. Control of the tongue requires training, self-monitoring, and time. I wanted to get down to some real kind of fine-tuning helping. I mean, this is stuff I have to do with my, try to do with myself regularly. Control of the tongue requires training, self-monitoring, and time. What I mean is this. Uh, we have to learn to bite our tongue in the sense that you're about to say something and then you have a second thought and say, I don't think I'll say that. Um, I, I suggest that you get some, in your memory work, you get some verses on the tongue and just get them to where you know them so well. Lord, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. If you ask me to open me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and ask me to quote Psalm 41, verse 3, I could do that. Because <laughs> I, I say it, I pray it. Lord, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Lord, uh, Psalm 19.1, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Interesting there. You see the link? The words of my mouth and meditation of my heart. So get some of these verses down and just memorize them. And I'm going to give, I'm giving myself an assignment because I was reading here again. I was reading Bridges on this. And he is, he, he worked off of uh, Ephesians 4.29 a good bit. And I, I, I know about Ephesians 4.29. I've taught through it a number of times, but I looked at it again and said, right, I'm going to memorize this verse. That's one of my little goals. And Ephesians 4 in verse 29 so, um, all right, I'm going to leave it at that, but I would say that's what I mean by self-monitoring. This is what I mean by, uh, exa- uh, by um, um, it, it working on, over time, we, you can become more conscious of these things and work on them. All right, control of the tongue lays hold of the ways the tongue can be used for good. Here we are. Now we're going to sprint to the finish, but this is, 
I do not mean to in any way demean these, but this is another sermon. You know what I'm doing? These overcoming messages, I'm very much aware of it. These are series of messages that I'm compressing. It's, 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 like, uh, it's like condensed uh, orange juice. You know, you got this can, and you got to add all this other to get a full thing of orange juice. These are condensed, and there's more that can be done with these. So I'm not minimizing this, believe me, but this, this would be a sermon all itself. Namely, the control of the tongue lays hold of the ways the tongue can be used for good. Let's rehearse those. You know these. I'm talking to the choir, but let's go over them. The tongue is to be used to praise God. Praise God. What can I do to make that more a day-to-day reality in my own life? I've tried to work it on myself. To, I think, I, I, now, the Lord's test, I'm sure he, he, there will be tests on this, but when I come to a green light, I find myself, thank you, Lord. I like green lights, <laughs> especially in traffic. I've got to get somewhere. Happened yesterday afternoon. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for that green light. But then, of course, I've got to deal with the red lights, and I've got to. Uh, praise God. Learning to praise God in all. I'm just saying praise God in the situations of life. Are, are you becoming more like that? Do you know what that means? And um, the tongue is to be used for prayer. It's to be used for prayer. And uh, do, I, do I need to turn the screws on this? Certainly in relation to uh, other people. Now, let me say this about criticism, judging. You know, a lot of these sins of the tongue have to do with what? Taking, uh, drawing a bead and being a sniper, as it were, a verbal sniper, and you're, you're going after people. You're saying things about people. Isn't that what a lot of these sins are, aren't they? You're singling out a person or people and saying things that don't need to be said. And why don't I take prayer and if I'm praying for people, and I'm praying regularly for people, and if I've got a serious prayer life, and I'm not just messing around, I've got a serious prayer life, I'm praying through the directory, or I'm keeping a record of people that I pray for, maybe people I don't like, and I pray for them. You know what? That's going to do something to you. And I guarantee you, you're praying for people regularly, and then you're in a conversation and some of the bad features of that person may be coming up or t- you're tempted to bring them up in this conversation, you're going to think twice. You're go- it's got to, it's got to, something's got to walk across your mind there. Oh, I've prayed for them. Maybe you don't like the way that person talks to their children. Maybe you don't like the way they handle their children. Maybe you've seen them be harsh or just be impatient. And that kind of eels you up a little bit about them. And then you talk to somebody and say, well, you know, boy, they, they trash their kids. Something. Pray for them. Lord, help those parents, that mother, father, to be more patient and kind in, with their words. So, yes, so use the tongue for prayer. And then the tongue is to be used for witnessing for Christ. To be used for witnessing for Christ. Tell others about Christ. Those people on my street that don't, that they're, they're, they let their house break down and let cars sit in the yard and, and the dogs bark all night and keep you awake and they just let things run down and it's just, you know, okay, Lord, do those people know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there an opportunity to talk to them about the Savior? Or maybe, you know, they got a lifestyle that it's just really strange. What's going on in that house? How many people live there? And we make these judgments, but Lord, I should think, God, is there, I don't think enough and pray enough to, in opportunities for witness. Use my tongue for witness. Thank you for that prayer for us tonight, Ed, that we need that. The tongue is to be used with honesty. Let's just be sure we're telling the truth. Start watching yourself on this. Do you tell through? Do you have a tendency when you get into situations to kind of want to stretch things a little bit to make you maybe you you didn't do something you said you were going to do, and then you're asked about it, and then you start wanting to shade it a little bit to make it look like you have done it. You know, you start massaging the the facts a little bit before you know it. You've just really created a nice little domesticated lie. Lord, help me to be honest. What am I afraid of? Do I think I'm God? 
that I can arrange, that I can manipulate people and circumstances and, and facts to create an impression that's not, who do I think I am? Lord, I need to be more honest and say things that, and, and sometimes honesty may be just, I don't need to say something at a certain time. And then the tongue is to be used with spirit-guided restraint. Help me, Lord. I don't always have to fill up the empty space with words. And do I need to say that? You know, I see, maybe you see your spouse doing something, and you may think, well, that's really something. Why are they doing that? That's stupid. Well, you, are you going to say that? I need to find a better way to say it. But maybe, Lord, I need to restrain myself. And then think, how many times have I done strange things? Am I eccentric? Do I do things that could, I could be called out on? You'd better believe it. So let's, uh, let's work on restraint. Just think a little bit. <laughs> we have to think. And I created, by the way, a little acronym. Um, it's, I, don't, I hope it's not cheesy, but uh, I, it's a little acronym. I thought the, the little, uh, the, with the word think, and I, I got the, with regard to words, true, helpful, is it what, is what I would say encouraging, necessary, and kind? I may or may not. If you will, you can throw it away if you don't. You don't keep it. But true, helpful. Is it what I would? Is what I would say encouraging, and necessary, and kind? So, the spirit guided restraint, and you know, and see, it's what's in the heart. What's going in in my heart? If I think I'm better than people, if I am really, if I'm really have an elevated view of myself, pride, um, that's going to come out. So you see, we've got heart work to do. And then finally, the tongue is to be used to encourage others, to encourage others. I have needed a lot of lessons in this. You know, I, I can see flaws. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Other people's flaws. But I'm not bragging. <laughs> and I, uh, my dear wife, Beth's been so patient and kind and helped me with this that, you know, sometimes I, I have to be reminded, you know, I, I had kind of a series of doubters for her. It, oftentimes it'll be, a, it'll be somebody, a kid, or somebody I think is just, they just keep doing dumb things. And... Did I say, and then after all said and done, did I think, did I say anything encouraging? Now, I know what that's like. I've been on the other end of that. I do know. I have some people in my past, and they've gone on now. But I have had people in my past that I knew that they were that kind of person, that I, I would wish that, well, I wish they could be a little more encouraging. And uh, they're just always pointing out the things that are wrong. But if well, just a little encouragement here and there, even when a person messes up and down, messes up and they're, they're down and out. So, Lord, help me to be an encourager and to know how to do that with people. I, and this, we're not talking about, uh, you know, artificial stuff and flattery, but just, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to do. I know people like this. If you know somebody like that, spend some time with them. You don't need to tell them you are spending time with them because of that. It might spook them, but uh, but just just sort of hang around and see. Wow, I really like the way that person handled that. Because if I had been there, I think I don't think I'd have said it that way. But they were just so encouraging, and they were so kind, and <clears throat> there were things they could have said that they didn't say, and and it's a good thing you, you, you get my drift here. All right, we're we're through. Uh, do you want to talk about the tongue? Do we have any confessions? I've made a couple tonight, so it's your turn. Um, uh, anything about the tongue and what we can do to overcome a hurtful tongue? <clears throat> or questions, something that's not clear or anything? Yes, Becky. Oh, my. Yes. Have bad memories. 
Yeah, oh, I, I think I referenced something like that a few bulletin articles ago that I remember I said something. It was in a Sunday school class. And I thought, boy, I hope those people have forgotten that. That was, oh, goodness. Uh, yes. But thank you, Mimi. You know, I actually had a note here. Oh, thank you. I had a note here. Uh, where yes, it was the under the uncontrolled tongue creates untold dangers, and I have my notes. It says challenges of the social media age, cyberspace age, Facebook, Instagram, cell phone, iPads, texting. Need I say more? You dealt with this at New Year's time, didn't you? In the yes, um, and. Oh, I will tell you, Justin's got his work cut out for him. I told him this just recently about some things, that he's got his work as pastor after, you know, some of us long gone. But he's got all this generation coming up who are just cutting their teeth on all this social media. And I will tell you, there is just a, a volume of things with regard to ethics. And Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't have to go anywhere. The Bible was sufficient for that. You'll just have to, all of us will be as we're grandparents uh, and whomever, for whomever we're responsible, that, yes, Facebook and, uh, oh, my, uh, 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 an email. We, some of us learn the hard way. You write that email, and what's, the, what's usually the best thing to do? Sit on it a while. Have you ever done that? You write an email, and then you put it in the draft file, and you sleep on it, and then you get up the next day and you read it. And you said, oh, I'm glad I did not send that. Why did I say that? Or why didn't I say this? Well, if you learn that, you start learning that lesson, you can save yourself a lot of trouble. And uh, thank you, Mimi. That's, that's a huge, that's another message altogether. Um, oh, my. Beth and I, oh, we can't go there. We just... We've had a recent experience with something along that line. I just thought, why did they say that? It's on Instagram. Why? <laughs> we just feel like we got to be out there. Here I am, folks. Hey, aren't my words great? <laughs> Don't I look good? <laughs> okay. That's, uh, what else? Anything else? Ron? Can somebody cover for him while he's thinking? Yeah. That is so true. You hear what he's saying, that as you come into a room or a little social gathering of some kind, if you go in with a preset, you're, you think, all right, I need to listen, and I don't have to respond to everything with some anecdote from my own life, Howard, um, and uh, that I will listen. And you're right that people say, my, what a great conversationalist that person is. <laughs> Now, you're not fishing for that accolade, but at least what you're doing is that person has been, you're giving a person room to talk. So this is part of that. Uh, when we go places and we're with people, just getting yourself, don't go in passive and go in with the flow, but be proactive. And that's part of it. There are a number of these things. Okay, I know you're all in a hurry to get out of here and see the Academy Awards, so let's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about uh, dealing with a hurtful tongue. Oh my, that ought to be illustrative of some things. Uh, well, thank you, uh, and Lord willing, we'll continue this next week. Overcoming fear and worry. 
fear and worry. So let's, let's go there next week. And, oh, Lord, we pray again now that we needed a tremendous amount of help. We, Lord, we say things without thinking. Stuff comes up out of our heart that we've nurtured there, we've thought, and we've, we, Lord, sometimes we think that, we just think vainly that what we have to say is the most important thing, and so we will say it. Oh, Lord, there are just so many ways and places we can go and false. So we need you, Lord. We need your help and enablement that we will speak with uh, tongues that will build people up and not tear them down. So help us in the name of Christ. And make us, Lord, put the gospel on our lips this week. Oh, yes, please help us to do so in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.